Welcome. You're listening to the Grassroots Football Coach Podcast with me, Mark Rivers. And me, Richard Brown. Mr. Rivers, hello, sir. How are you? Very well, Rich. Very well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. It's been a long time, no speak. It's been a few months, haven't it, since we uh, did one of these? Been a few months, yeah. We're in, uh, well, coming out now of the uh, this lockdown, this global pandemic that we're uh, becoming quite used to now. Afraid so. Um, yeah. yeah, hopefully getting back to a little bit of normality, whatever that means these days. <laughs> yeah, no such thing as normal. Um, no. So, uh, yeah, we're... we're we're meeting up, meeting up today just because um, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. Last mm. year, we recorded um, some specials during the whole week that were released with uh, Marvin Sordell, Cara Ostrin, Martin Sinclair, and Manisha Taylor, MBE. Can't forget the MBE yeah. with Manisha. Um, yeah. uh, and also a special with Jason McMahon as well, we did just before that. And uh, we thought we'd, we'd do something again. Um, mental health is something that's important and close to our hearts. Um, I'm speaking for Mark here as well, and um, fortunate that this platform of the podcast gives us uh, the opportunity to, to speak about it, and I'm really glad that we're able to, to do something again for this year's, Mark. Yes, yeah, it's been really, um, uh, really good. We've had uh, Mickey McCloskey on, um, who's a, a very dear friend of mine, who's um, experienced quite a lot of mental health and um, addiction, growing up in a really deprived part of Glasgow um, in the 70s and 80s um, and then sort of turning his life around really um, and using the tools that he'd learned to figure out what anxiety meant to him and depression and addiction and now he's in a lovely position um, at a professional football club where he can sort of channel all that energy and what he's learned and um, really help some of the youths down in um, the West Country to sort of yeah. help them sort of navigate their own journeys, really. So um, I won't uh, spoil it too much, but it was uh, a fantastic insight, Rich. I think you'll agree. Absolutely, yeah. And um, just before we, we play the uh, the interview, I uh, just want to state that uh, the episode does contain references to drug and alcohol abuse, gambling, violence and criminal activity. So um, just bear that in mind. But um, here it is. Uh, good morning, I'm pleased to uh, welcome a very special guest today, a very good friend of mine, Mickey McCloskey. Um, Mickey is someone I met probably around, I'm racking my brains, about 2005, 2006-ish, something like that, at uh, Plymouth Argyle Football Club. Um, we did an initiative with Job Centre Plus at the time just to get people back into into work. And uh, Mickey was someone who, who came along to that course and was a real sort of standout uh, candidate. Um, but when the course finished, people were obviously free to go back to, to their own lives. And uh, Mickey was someone that kept coming back to the club. Um, he'd come into my office and say, Mark, have you got any uh, footballs that I can use? I want to do this uh, program at one of the local parks. So we found some footballs for him. And then a week later, he'd be knocking the door again. Have you got, have you got any cones that we can use? And so it went on. Um, but then, you know, I'm pleased to say Mickey's been... Um, 
at the club for, well, Mickey, you'll tell us, but in excess of 10 years, probably more than that now. Is that right? Yeah, it's probably about 13 now. 13 years. 13 years. Absolutely uh-huh. fantastic. And, and what's your, what's your, we will go backwards, um, Mickey, but right. what's your, what's your current role at the minute at Argonne? Current role is uh, I lead on uh, the PL Kicks program, which is obviously the social inclusion project, targeting young people and targeting young people to sort of give them something different to do, yeah. try to keep them out of trouble. I don't like using that word, keep them out of trouble, but it's to give them something yeah. to occupy their time, you get me? Plus, yeah. uh, I lead on the disability projects. Fantastic. Brilliant. I always remember when we started that off. So um, PL will be Premier League Kicks programme. Um, and we did it in um, some sort of hard-to-reach areas in, in, in Plymouth. Um, yeah, on it, no, you were there the first night when we done it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. 2008. Yeah, 2008. And I, and I just remember at the time... There was no one better, in my opinion, than yourself to to lead on a project like that. Someone who's sort of been there, seen it, and done it, um, and acted as a, a, a um, you know a, a person that people could look up to and inspire them, and, and probably keep them on the right track. But Mickey, let's go backwards to um, your time in, in Glasgow, where you were born, and um, you know this this episode is sort of promoting positive mental health and in, will coincide with Mental Health Week. Um, so, yeah, let's just touch on your your turbulent times, I suppose, growing up in uh, well, do, do you know something? I was talking to somebody the other day about that, right? And for years, right, for years, people would say to me, where, where were you born, Mickey? And I'd say, tell us a bit about your, your upbringing. And I would say, I was born in Glasgow in 1966, right? I went to school. Done all right, didn't really like it. Played a bit of football in school. Went to secondary school. Good laugh, but I didn't really, wasn't really uh, academic I left school with no levels. Left school six months early. Tried heroin. And then the next 20 years disappeared, right? Wow. And it wasn't until one person said to me, Mickey, tell me about this normal childhood, the normal childhood in Glasgow. And it was like for years that's all I used to say, normal childhood, because I thought everything was normal yeah. when I was growing up. To get me, yeah. and I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you a wee bit about it now. But the one thing about it is, it's like if you remember back when I was born, right, so '66, right. So by the time I started growing up, so even it was the '70s, right. Mental health. You didn't really, you didn't know what mental health was. Mm. I didn't know. I didn't know what actual feelings were. Right. I didn't know how to express my feelings. Right. Until I was thirty years of age when I came to Plymouth. Wow. So when you met me, Mark, like the couple of months before that, I'm still, I'm feeling dodgy. I'm feeling. I don't know what I'm feeling. But mm. I'll go back right to that normal childhood, right, which was normal at that time. And it was growing up in Glasgow, and I grew up in a, a house in a state called Royston, right, and it was an old slum area, right. Uh, okay, a wee bit of history. My my mum's mum and her her dad and that had come over from Ireland when in the early early part of that year when the famine was on and all that, and they had to get away from Ireland. They ended up coming to Glasgow, and that's where they used to put the Irish Catholics right in that part of Glasgow. It's an old slum. So by the time I was born in '66, right, I had a step brother, my man, my dad, and my granny all living in this house, right. And it was at a time in the 60s when they were building all the high-rise slats. So there was a brand new estate. 
across the road from Royston Colt Site Hill, 18 big tiller blocks, bundles of masonettes. I think at, at the end it was about 8,000 families lived there, so 8,000 people, hundreds of kids. School at one end, typical Glasgow, Catholic school here, Protestant school at the other end, wee shops out in the middle, two pubs, and then they built a new special school. We didn't know what special schools were. Mm. So, I mean, so you were either Catholic, Protestant, or you went to the, the special school. Do you get me? So yeah. growing up in that area, mate, it was all right. Hundreds of kids, you went out and played. Do you get what I mean? No phones, nothing. You just went out and played. Uh, obviously, I was a Catholic, and I went had to go to the Catholic school. So that was the first little thing that triggers in your mind that I'm different because of your friends, so you, nobody understands that. Your friends, you go start school and then you go to that school and they go to that school and you're, why? Mm. You know what I mean? Because we're different. Why are we different? But obviously that's the way it was then. It was segregated. So mm. that was the first little click that we're different. But you look the same, but we're different. Yeah. You get know what I mean? And going to school, I suppose it was all right in school. But apart from that, school, we just, uh, you just got on with it. To get a man going to school, I suppose it was fun. Not much really memories about it at the time. But I always remember, I always remember even feeling anxious all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm saying the word anxious, right? I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I just didn't feel, I felt something, right? And I've always said, I used to thought, didn't really fit in. So get on in. And as we're younger, you're just playing, you're just being normal, you could go out. But it was a time, it was like when I was about seven or eight, now maybe about eight or nine. When they used to, uh, used, my mum and I would shout us up because obviously you've got school in the morning or it was late. And I was staying at Turblock. Where I stayed, there was a wee railway bridge. And you remember that in the days in Glasgow, and I suppose everywhere, from the 60s, every estate had gangs. So they all had little gangs. Now remember in the days, it might be gangs that went to the town centre and dancings and what. But now times were changing. So every everyone had a little gang and they... We were surrounded by different areas, so different gangs. So you had a gang everywhere. And this wasn't the gangs like gangsters. This was gangs of kids. We had nothing to do except shout at the other gang. <laughs> to get me and then throw yeah. and bottles and all that at each other. But as a nine-year-old kid, I'm living a tower block and my mum maybe shouts us up at eight o'clock. And you're gutted and you're looking out the window and you're seeing all these kids, maybe 50, 60, fighting. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just running battles, throwing stones. And you're sort of looking at it and you sort of like, it looked appealing. Wow. You know what I mean? Because I'm in my, I'm sitting on my bed looking at the window and I'm jealous of all them playing. When I say playing, they're fighting. Yeah. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as like I was old enough to get out, that was it. Right at my block, I wanted in there. And that was the first thing going in there. And joining in with them. Do you get what I mean? Even with our wee football team, we had a football team at school and all, we had a football team in the state. And that was the same thing as well. You would go to football, and they never had many buses in the days, right? You had to jump on the bus, pay your bus fare, and you'd go up. That was another gang because you were going into a different area. Mm-hmm. So you go in, play a game of football, you might beat them or they might beat you or somebody might elbow someone. You're 10, 11 years of age. When you come out, you're waiting at a bus stop. You're in a different area next minute. Mm-hmm. The other team come up with all their friends and there's another fight. So you've got a gang fight in the state. You're going to play football and there's another gang fight. So that mindset. Mm-hmm. You get me? So you're feeling anxious and I don't fit in here. 
But yeah. I don't know that. Do you get me? Is this, is this, um, are you talking about like sort of sectarianism and um, the divide of Catholics and Protestants at that time? Yeah, no. It was like, it, it was just the way it was, like you'd take gangs everywhere. Mm. So everybody's fighting. In the school sense, you would have a sectarian school. You'd have a gang in the house in the state to be gang at football, because that would happen. Then you go to school, especially secondary school, and you would have gangs fighting each other each other's uh, school, Catholics against Protestants. And then you throw in the mix that there were teddy boys at school, skinheads, punks, mods. They were all a gang. They all wanted to fight. Mm. And then you wanted to go to see I Love Celtic. So you go to watch Celtic and you would walk to the football ground. But to get to the football ground, you'd have to get into three or four different mistakes. Should yeah. that be another? And when I say fighting, it's just like groups of kids, mate. You're only young. You don't understand that. And the thing about it is, is that that feeling that you're no fitting in. Do you know what I mean? So you're just gone with the flow. Well, Mick, where do you think this was born out of, though? All of this sort of violence at a, at a young age, all of these gangs ganging up on each other and, um, you know, throwing stones and missiles and things. Where was that born out of from a, from a very young age? If, 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 you, if you look at history, but if you look at, uh, the, if you look at the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, it was always uh, after the war. Right, I'm not that old, but I, I've done my research with that. So there was always that uh, poverty, when it? And people, mm. people trying to get money. So there was always criminality. And within mm. that criminality, it was, it was always fighting. They were always fighting for what they wanted. Yeah. And it sort of progressed. So then they started drinking, and then it was other gang fights, and it was all the Razor Kings and uh, like Peaky Blinders and all that that you see. That was real. Do you get me? And then Glasgow mm. was all the Razor Gangs. Now, they weren't the criminal gangs. They would just try be. That's territorial, that's territorial thing. And it yeah. just continued. By the time we got older, right, the knife crime had sort of, was still in Glasgow, right, which it is now, but it wasn't as prevalent because all the older ones were using that. So it was just people, we were sort of learning from the stories of older people. So your dads or your uncles or your brothers, and you started that. Do you get me? Mm -hmm. And it sort of just continued. Uh, and I suppose in the days, it's like, uh, it's the choices you make, and I'm quite big on it now. When I look back on hindsight, it's the choices I made from sitting in my room, looking out at these gangs fighting, and the choice I made that I'm going to go and join in with them. And even though I wasn't a gangster, I wasn't a big part of it, I was there. Yeah. And it was that adrenaline I used to get from it, to get what I mean. Yeah. And it sort of continued all the time. But Mark, the thing about all that is, is the reason I'm telling you all that is that uh, that was like, the choices that kids make nowadays and they just think like me looking at the block want to fit in feeling anxious but not knowing what anxiety is and I just want to fit in with that and I think fitting in with that is because if I go there and join in with them then I won't feel this anymore do you know what I mean but right. I, still felt, I still felt it but the thing about that is is like the choices you make the consequences of that is I don't know you get involved in the police when you're young or the police come and disperse you and you all end up in the middle of the state and you're meeting people from that state that you've not met before and you start getting influenced by them. So they're smoking cigarettes. They're drinking alcohol. I'm trying that. Have a fag. Have a drink. I don't really like the drink. Makes me feel all fuzzy. I just don't like it. I feel sick. I don't fit into that, Mark. They're sniffing glue. I try glue sniffing. I don't like it. It's, just, it's no... Mm. It wasn't a day now, but I'm still doing it because I've still got all these 
horrible mm. feelings of not being able to fan, and I don't know what it is. He couldn't talk. I couldn't go up to my dad and say, Dad, I don't feel too. Something in my belly, it probably slapped me in the head and get out. Yeah. Something, get away. And then that's the way. And then when, you, when you've gone through all this and you're trying to fit in way, school, you're trying to fit in, you're not really getting on and you're meeting all these different people and the feelings are still the same. And then as you get to like 12 and 13, you go into your mate's house and they were smoking cannabis. I didn't know what cannabis was, Mark. I tried that and on. I didn't like it. It made, it made that no fitting in feeling. Worse, right? Mm. So then it started getting from I don't really fit in here. I'm getting anxious, but I don't know what anxiety is. Mm. And now I'm smoking this, and now it's gone straight to my brain. So this feeling that I have is like I, I don't know what it is, and I'm overthinking now. Now I'm starting yeah. to feel like, man, I don't fit in. I don't like this, but I need. To, I'm keeping doing it. Do you get what I mean? So mm. it's like I'm, the more I smoke it, the more I'm getting my head's getting sort of like it's, it's like having a gang in my head. Yeah. Why are you smoking this? And then I'm looking about, and I'm starting to get that wee bit of paranoid, and it's like really, really, it, it's yeah. no. Uh, that was the consequences of that. And then at 15, when all this is going on, you're still feeling this and trying to fit in. I found a cure for one of the older guys came in. This is this links into wait a lot. It's this grooming mark. Mm. Older guy, heavy criminal, comes in and. Uh, you remember in the days in the seventies and start eighties, it was all these all the criminals that were about they were selling cannabis or their money lending and things like that. And we get influenced by them. You sort of look at them and thought, I like what what they're doing because there was nothing else about it at the time. And one of them brought on heroin. I said nineteen eighty two. And uh, we didn't know what heroin was, Mark. Never had a clue, never heard that. I think I'd saw it on the telly when you watched the old American hippies. Do you know what I mean? That was Vietnam or something, that was the only thing I'd heard. I didn't know, didn't couldn't relate it to, to me. And uh, he gave us that. We were 15. Same with the cannabis. We were 12, 13. It was grown men. It was, uh, it was giving us that. Wow. He gave his hair on. And this went on for like, my memory's a wee bit short, right? But I'm saying like a couple of weeks, bang, five or six days trying this. But the funny thing is, Mark, is that when, when we took it, see that feeling of no fitting in and all that anxiety and all that travelling up to your head and overthinking things, <laughs> gone, gone, gone. Now I know that you're trying that and you're feeling that one warm feeling where it's like a, I feel quite good and I actually found something. I'm quite happy. I found something that I fit in there. No realising how... how uh, how your mental health is getting affected by this because for somebody to feel all that and try all these things and then find heroin and mm. think yes I've got it sorted I feel good that's the answer but mm. I don't know what anxiety is in these days Mark I'm only looking back in hindsight so mm. now I think I feel better and I think I'm fitting in so by the time I leave school at 16 I'm addicted to heroin and I'm injecting heroin and I'm selling heroin Right, again by the same people that had, so I'm calling them groomers, so they groomed us, right, because we were young kids and we were selling heroin, not having a clue about it, right, and what mental health is getting even worse, even though the feeling when we're taking this is making us feel good, yeah. making us feel safe, it's making us feel like accepted, mm -hmm. accepting that's in our heads, 
we think we're accepted now. We're drug dealers, we're using heroin, and we're 16, and we think that's great. Yeah. We think we're all right. And then slowly, it starts to sort of peel away. I wasn't the best dealer at 16, right? Because I just used it, and I, I, I never had that ruthlessness about me or nothing like that. So mm. by the time I was maybe 17, I'm not selling heroin anymore. And trying to get heroin, so all these feelings are coming back up. All this anxiety, and all I can link the anxiety to is uh, I need heroin. I need heroin to take this away. Do you get me? Yeah. And the consequences of that, Mark, is like uh, being you're arrested, you're committing crimes, and then next minute you're, you're in uh, remand centres, you're in detention centres, and it's continuous, you're using heroin, and you're trying to escape all different ways. Uh, remember when I was 17 or something, I was in, I went into rehab, rehab at 17. And uh, at 17, I had no social skills. I couldn't, uh, people would ask you how you felt. I didn't even know what that meant. All I knew is that there was something not right. Do you know what I mean? In my, in my stomach, that the anxiety and not fitting in and the overthinking things. I couldn't cope, but I could cope if I had heroin. And then I'd cope, I'd try that, and then I'd take Valium. And try to cope. And then, from a young age, by the time I was 21, I'm in institutions all the time. And I come to London. And I think, London, massive place. That'll be good. So I think I was 22 when I came to London, 21. Started using hair again. Still that all night, that. And then, something else came in and happened that I found another saviour that I fought at 22. So I'm good that way, Mark. And I'm really good. I find heroin to help me. And then yeah. I needed something else to help me, and I found crack cocaine. Ding. Wow. And then next minute, it's like the anxiety is through the roof. So you get I mean, one minute I'm happy, I'm like, she's all right. And next minute, bing. I'm like, I think I found an answer. No, no, I found an answer. And it sort of like, it just exploded. And it went from, that was like 1989. All the way to, I could tell you what stories, but I don't think that's the right thing. So if you think about uh, 1982, 1983, then go to London, 1989, and 1989 yeah. to 2005, right? The choices that I made from going back uh, with the gang, with cannabis, the choices and the consequences where it led to me. People say, uh, when, when I say that, I don't mean that everybody that goes a gang or everybody that takes cannabis they're going to end up like me, right? But it's like having a dice in your hand and you're rolling it and it's like your life is, is rolling about to it stops. Do you get me? And it's like a, it's a lock of the draw. And yeah. that happened to me because of where it took me. When, when I map it back, that I was feeling that, that one uh, with that anxiety and my mental health wasn't good, but I didn't understand that. So the people running about me that should have been sort of protecting me and maybe guiding me, they're selling me cannabis. These are grown men. They're giving me heroin. It's a grown man. I go to jail at 16 and I'm just going into like, it's just like, a, uh, how can I describe it? Uh, the, the first time I went to jail, I was 17, right? And because it was outside Glasgow, I went to the adult prison, which was a long-term prison. It's called Perth Prison. And on the, there was, in the jail, it was like a wee middle landing just for remands. <laughs> the landings were all long-term prisoners. Do you know what I mean? They'd been life in 10 years and 18 years, and a few of them we'd known from our estate. 
So we got to talk to them again. So when we're, let's say, 17, sitting and talk to people that are doing life sentences and heavy, heavy sentences, me looking up, do you know what I mean? My anxiety's going through the roof, but I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. They're talking to me. They're accepting me. Mm-hmm. So again, oh, there's no fitting in. I'm finding ways to fit in. Mm-hmm. So now I've got the lifer, uh, and I've got the armed robber, and I've got the drug dealers off talking to me. Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah, this is it. And I'm looking at all these other prisoners and other ones, and I'm sort of, they're not for me. I'm thinking, this is it. Then when I'm going back out, I've got stories to tell them up. Yeah. yeah, I met such and such in there. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he gave me a bit of tobacco. He gave me that. Uh, but that was the only one wee bit at all. I didn't tell about the next, the last three weeks, lying in a cell. You know, mm-hmm. like my head's screaming, screaming what I pound my head against the wall. So, I mean, what I get to the point where, you know, that way I've never been like 100% now suicidal, but see the thoughts. Yeah. They're there and it's like I don't know what to do with them yeah. and, and then it's like sometimes the door opens and it's like you snap out there and it, it, it's hard and that's you going through that for like 20, 20 years and a lot of it Mark is obviously it's like self-inflicted with the things that I've done yeah. but it's like uh, like trying to find ways I was always trying to find ways to fix it right and having no clue of what I was needed to fix and as, as I said yeah. it wasn't until I came down here I, uh, I kept getting arrested all the time. I kept going to jail. And I got arrested one time. I was on remand. And I think the judge just, I don't know if he had enough. He just thought something's not right here. Because this has been going on for like 25 years. You've gone in and out of jail and it's, nothing's changing. You're not changing. The, the jail's not changing. Nothing's nothing's changing. Have uh, you not had enough yet? And it's just at that minute. It was just the mindset that I had. But, uh, I went, yeah, and I got the chance, and uh, it, it worked. Do you know what I mean? As soon as I got to Plymouth and the rehab, right, I ain't looked back. That mindset had just changed. Where how, did, thought, mate, how did that come about? How did Plymouth come about? Was it? I've got in my head that someone just said to you, right, we've got to get you out of Glasgow, get you out of these big cities, and we're going to just uh, chuck you right the way down to the bottom of the country. Mate, way. mate do you know what it is, man, to be fair? Be fair, Mark, is like, see, let's say when I used to always ask for help, right? Uh, some people might, might recognise us. When I used to, if I came to use two now and asked for help, right, in the days, right, I'd need an instant. And if you said to me, all right, Mick, I'll help you on Thursday, and I'd look and I'd say, this is Tuesday. Ah, what can happen between Tuesday and Thursday? Do you yeah. get what I mean? So uh, I just used to uh, dismiss it. I used to go, ah, well, he's not going to help me then. I wanted it on my terms, Mark, right? And I didn't realise that it doesn't work like that. Do you get what I mean? So I went through life like that. You're not going to help me, then it's your fault. It's your fault my head's like this. It's your fault if I wake up dead. It's your fault if I jump off that bridge. And, and I'm seriously, that's what I used to say to them. So I used to put it on a lot of people because mm. I didn't understand the process of getting getting help. And what it was was I went to this uh, drug agency and I... And I on one of the spells and I was feeling like that and I asked for help and he went through the process and then he came back to me and he says, Mickey, he said, uh, we can't offer you nothing. You know, right? He said, uh, you're too high risk. He said, you've been doing it for years, you've been going in and out of places and you never you never last. Or... It's always when you're desperate, you come. He said, but what we will do is, is uh, 
we'll set up a plan. So when you get arrested, not if I get arrested, when you get arrested, <laughs> oh, you, just need to, you just need to talk to the, uh, the drug worker or the mental health worker in prison and everything will be set in place for you. And I said, yeah, yeah. And this is the truth, man. I tell this quite a lot. So I went, all right. And I went out the next day and I thought, I'm going to get arrested. It doesn't really matter. So I went and it is now like shoplifting and doing things like that, just picking stuff up and walking out. And then I never got caught for two weeks, man. And I was just walking in being so blatant and nothing happened. I was like, man, the more you're going on, I was thinking, this is quite good. I'm getting away with it. I've masked. And then, bang, one day I got caught and that was it. I went to Wandsworth Prison and I spoke to a drug worker, a mental health worker, and the guy was as good as his word. They had everything set up. So I had to lie in remand for a couple of months while they found a place, and the place they found was Plymouth. Uh, and I think it was just at that time, it was just the, it was right out of the way, and it was just the way people, where they were funding things at the time from Camden and, and London. And uh, it was better for me, Mark, because I'd tried all these different cities and, and, and London and all over the place, and there was always that draw. Mm. I had to get away. I had to get away from that environment where it's like London was. London became my home because I was there like eighteen years. So it was didn't matter where I went in London. There was always memories. There was always a. You get what I mean. So there was always people. Someone was familiar, and I needed to. I needed to be took out of the way. Yeah. And, and by this time, by this time, Mick, had you had you had enough? Of all this being in and out of institutions and and being heavily reliant on on drugs and alcohol, and you just wanted the change. Did you realise it by this stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I realised it for a few times, right? But I just never had the ability. I just never. Mark, it's like if you if you're going back, to like feeling no fitting in, and and I'm I'm going to use it like anxiety and that mindset, right? I had no self belief, man. My confidence was done right. I didn't mm. believe that. I, I felt worthless, right, from an early age. It's a, hard, that's a uh, mad word to use, and they're like worthless, right? But even up to all the years, people say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Man, I couldn't even lie. couldn't even lie and say that. My dad used to say when he was alive, I used to pretend I was doing the London work, and he'd say, what are you doing? I couldn't even invent a job. I couldn't even <laughs> say I was a painter and decorator because I'd, I had no conviction in my voice because yeah. I knew. And, and he used to, he just used to know. Do you get what I mean? So that it was that. I knew I had to do something, Mark, and I knew I was ready to do something right. But what I was, when I went in there, a rehab, right, it was uh, the first couple of weeks was decent, right, because you're just getting over withdrawals and things like that, and you're concentrating on that. So I was quite good at that. I knew that I was withdrawn from here on. I knew I wasn't sleeping. I, I knew my head was done in because of that. That was cool. I could relate to that. I could understand that. I've experienced that. When that finished, the first week after it, the only thing I could talk about was, oh, this is quite good. I'm starting to sleep now. I'm feeling a wee bit better. Do you get me? And then that was it. I was, a, I was, a, I was an empty shell. I had nothing else to talk about. Mm. All, I knew, all I knew was uh, drugs, crime gangs, knives, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm. Now all these feelings that I was getting, which I still don't know where they are, they're all coming back now, because now that I'm playing, they ain't, they ain't my way. I've, I've, I've covered them up for like 22 years. Now next yeah. minute, that anxiety is back and it's screaming at me. My stomach is like, it's so tight. 
and I'm relating it, I need a bit of gear. I need to do this, and I don't understand that. So mm-hmm. you get I mean, I don't know what being vulnerable means. I never knew what the word was. I didn't know what insecure meant. I didn't know what anxiety meant. I didn't know what depression meant. I just thought I was, wasn't feeling well because I never had any air on. So now it's all come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and as we know, there's there's no emotional growth with with any form of addiction, and and I suppose it was you were very much in sort of emotional poverty um, and emotionally bankrupt. It's weird that you just you don't know how to feel. You know, you've suppressed it for years and years and years with this this addiction. You know, and 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 take sort of men's mental health by itself. Um, as an isolation, you know, there's this narrative that we have to play into as as men that we've got to be big and strong and we can't show our emotions, we can't show our feelings, this horrible sort of man-up culture that we find ourselves in. And you throw into the mix of yourself in that era, growing, growing up in a, in, in a difficult part of Glasgow in that time, and like you've alluded to going back then when you, you know, even if you have that feeling of anxiety in your pit of your stomach, you, you, there's no way that you could have gone to your dad at that time um, and said, Dad, I don't know what this feeling is. I feel a bit low or whatever. You, I get it. I totally get it. So um, when did you start to sort of regulate those feelings and those emotions? And and you say then that, you know, you had those sort of feelings at your stomach and then um, for you it was related to, right, I need to pick up some gear. But when, when, when you're changing your mindset and you're going on the straight and narrow, what kind of replaced that? Do you know what? See, like I say, I'll, I'll tell you a story first, right? See, when, when I went to rehab and all that, like, uh, it was a wee bit, the comfort blanket was you weren't allowed it, right, for a couple of months. Do you get me? So I knew that I was safe in there, right, with these feelings, right? And I picked up a couple of words. They used to say, how are you feeling? I used to say, iffy and dodgy. That's the only thing I could describe it. My belly feels iffy and I feel dodgy, vulnerable yeah. and insecure. That's what it was, right? And I locked onto these words about all this, right? And I just sort of got through. And then it was just listening to people and people telling me that uh, they were mentioning these words like anxiety and insecurities that they were feelings, right? And what I'd done with feelings before, which I didn't realise what they were, I let them go in my head. Then I let my head play about with them, right? And my head was the most dangerous thing, right? It was like having a pal that wasn't really a pal. He was just an enemy up there. Uh, I would think the worst of everything. So when these feelings were coming up, up there you had the people that there was decent guys and there was decent counsellors, Mark, that you could actually speak to and you could actually try and explain it. And they would sort of give you the words. For it, do you know what I mean? And it was just like they kept saying to me, Don't give these feelings the power. It's all right to feel anxious. Do you get what I mean? And it's all right to feel vulnerable and it's all right to feel insecure and you're feeling sad or you feel that wee bit of depressed. It's all right to be that. It's all right to be angry because I I used to get angry and I used to get uh, reversed into myself and I was angry with myself and I punched walls. This is an early recovery. In the rehab, I punched the wall because. I didn't understand what was happening. And I was just slowly about actually talking to people. And it was talking to people, Mark, that I sort of didn't know. But I sort of trusted them and I had to put trust. I hear a lot of times it's like people say, uh, I don't really trust him and I'm not sure if I trust him. We can we can do that with everybody, Mark. I had to trust people because I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself to sit with all this because I knew I'd be outside and I'd probably be where I'd been before, on drugs, in jail, in hospital, or most probably this time dead. 
right? So that that's the only way you're going to get where. Do you know what I mean? Jails, institutions are death, right? That's 100%, right? There's no, you don't get through that life without getting one of them. And I'm quite lucky that I'm sitting here now. But the wee bit of the anxiety is the more I got it, a lot of times I've talked to people and it was having a wee plan in my head, Mark, truthfully, that I'm going from A to B and C and that's what I'm doing. Do you get what I mean? So I didn't rush in like before thinking I'm Jack Lad. Wait, mum, we're going to Plymouth and see the sights. I hated it because I had to live by well, mental health, being clean, Mark, and sober, having nothing in my, no medication, nothing. Do you get what I mean? And I remember I had lots of ideas that I wanted to do, but I'll tell you this wee story. I went in the rehab master youth club. Could I be a volunteer? Could I got my help out? Because I had all these ideas that I'd be quite good at it, Mark. And they went, yeah. But the anxiety pulled in, Mark. I went in the youth club, had the interview, and they went, yeah, you're, you're what we're looking for. Bang, come up in the whatever night it was, Tuesday night. And I went up. And because of the way I was talking to them all, I was quite busy. They're all thinking, oh, he's really good. So when I've come in, they've come in, had a wee brief, and then they went, right, yeah, we need to set up. Nobody really spoke to me. So again, my anxiety's gone, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, no, it's back up. It's in my head. They don't like me. There it is. And I couldn't cope. And I've ended up saying, I'm going out for a flag. And I just ran. Jumped in a bus, went back to rehab. For four weeks, I was leaving the rehab, pretending I was going to voluntary work to this youth club. And I've just mm-hmm. gone out, wandering about for an hour, and then coming back. And eventually I told them what happened. And I went into the, the, the youth club and I spoke to them. And they were they were baffled because they thought, Mick, the way you were talking, you were buzzing. He said, we were thinking, man, he's got to take this centre by storm. He's got to do this. <laughs> Brilliant. They were excited, so they were letting me do their own thing. But I was looking for, I was looking for them to tell me, go in there. This is your area. You go in there. And I just sort of like, I just folded. But the, the good thing about that was, Mark, is that I actually, when I felt that and then I left, I actually kept safe and actually spoke to people, Mark, whereas mm. before. So that was a change. Whereas before I would have, I couldn't have lived with that. I'd have jumped on a train and I'd be back in London. Do you get what I mean? So it was just, and again, Mark, is that transition, right? Is that transition from feeling all this, all this stuff, uh, and then all the anxiety, and then taking drugs and transitioning into that, and then going to jail where the anxiety was even worse. But the biggest yeah. transition was actually living with that it's all right to feel like that. So get me? Yeah. And the longer you leave it, the longer it sort of plays about in your head. Mm. And your head can be a dangerous place if you're alone. Thinking yeah. like that. Do you get me, Mark? Yeah, I think you've mentioned it a couple of times, but about vulnerability and, and Rich and I um, talk quite openly about you know mental health and everything. But for me, um, you've got to get yourself vulnerable for, for growth to take yeah. place. And it might be you you know, going along and volunteering at those youth clubs and, um, you know, kind of and as difficult as it is, but sitting with those feelings of anxiety and your stomach doing um, um, somersaults, you know, in the first couple of times that you sort of legged it out of there, because, again, you don't know what this feeling is. So eventually what we'll come on to soon is, you you know, you coming on to this sort of Job Centre Plus initiative at this, this football club where, you know, again, you're going to be... Um, on a course I don't know how many courses you would have been on like that in an environment that would have been probably different to you but again 
vulnerability, in my opinion, breeds growth and, and, and confidence. 100%. And the, the, the thing is, is like, yeah, 100%. And, and most things that I've done like that, uh, I was always vulnerable, always felt vulnerable, also, always felt insecure in everything. Do you get what I mean? And I didn't like sitting with it. So at mm. that point, I knew, but the thing is, Mark, is that I knew that uh, I had no other options, Mark, or Richard, I had no other options. Because in that hand, like, uh, on that hand, right, you could see the morgue. There's a morgue there. There's a mm. big jail there. Do you get what I mean? That that was the only options there. There was no other options. I wasn't daft. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd, I'd done it for so long. And I knew that, mate, mate, you can't survive anymore because things are changing in the world. Do you know what I mean? Things are changing. You need to remember all the way through all that lifestyle and all right, I came, had lucky scrapes, Mark. Do you get yeah. what I mean? So I've been knife crime and gangs and all that. Do you know what I mean? I've been, I think I've been stabbed. I've been slashed. So there's, there's lots of things where I'm lucky that I'm actually here. Do you get me? Mm. And getting that wee bit, there's no going back. So that mindset had to change. So that vulnerability, I had to find a way in. I had to find a way to, it's like being, being a kid again. All that childhood that I've lost and all the, the adulthood that I lost, you revert back, Mark. So now I'm in Plymouth, just about to come on your course. And I'm like a 15 year old kid. Do you get what I mean? I don't really know. I don't, I, mate, if you ask me what I like, I didn't know what I liked. I still don't, right? But nothing changes. But I just, what food do you like? I don't know, because I'm used to getting told. Here's your dinner. Your dinner's at four o'clock. Boom. Go to rehab. It's the exact same thing. It's structured, Mark. Yeah. Me? yeah. And actually, when I came to Plymouth, the funny thing was, but after I left rehab, right, they put us in this supported house and then uh, in, in the centre of town, just next to where my flat was at the time. So after all that time in jail and then in seven months in rehab where you're secure, you're fed, everything, all this vulnerability is cool because you can just put your hand up in a group and say, I feel this, and everybody will talk to you. Great. And then next minute, put you in a cab with all your belongings. They just wave you at the, at the door. See you later, man. Keep in touch. Next minute, you're in this supported house in a room and it's like, bing, bong, it's back again. But then you've got all these things, Richard, that, uh, that I've never had to do before. You need to pay your rent. Oh, dear. For what? Oh, you're paying your rent for here. You need to pay TV license. For what? I ain't got a telly. You need to buy food. You need to do this. I'm what, what do you do? You've got 60 quid a week. You need to stop smoking. Stop smoking. And you need to do this. And it's like, man. Yeah. So it all starts again, but it's a positive way, Mark. Because yeah. learning, looking back, it was tough, right? But I had to find ways to do it. And it was having good people around about me. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's what I had to do. I had to, again, you need to trust. You have to trust. You have to trust people. You need yeah. to take a chance to talk to people and tell people because people can't help you if they don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's what I found. It's a really good point, and, I, and again, I think as men, it's probably not what we're good at, generally nah, speaking. Not. I am generalising, but but being able to open up, and and it's different. It's different, I suppose, from Rich, myself, and you. You are probably at different stages with this. That, because you know, I'd have no problem picking up the phone to you and talking about 
feelings and emotions and you would do the same with me yeah. take that back 20 30 years there'd be like no chance i'm not talking to this yeah. other guy about how i feel no way but now I'm, I'm absolutely open with it it's not a problem um but just going back to when you came into the club mick i remember you talking about food um i don't know if you remember we came you came onto this course and do you remember at lunch times we um there was like two options. We we were very fortunate at Plymouth. We had the, uh, an excellent chef who used to cook up, wow, the pastas and all sorts of fish and loads of fresh food. I remember we used to have shark on the menu and everything. Rich, we were really treated and really well looked after. But it was it was a sort of diet, high carb diet for players at that time. But we could yeah. have the same. But equally, there used to be a place. I think it's called the Far Post, Nick. But they used yeah. to do like sort of fried um, <laughs> burgers and chips and sausages and everything. So, we, gonna... yeah, <laughs> I remember when we were sort of planning it, we thought, let's 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 make this right. And we, we, we planned out the classroom stuff. And what we're going to do for lunches? Well, we'll take them over to the chef and everything. But I think to a person, I think you had the food that, with the chef the first day. And and the people on the course were like, nah, we don't like this. We'd, we'd rather go into the fire post and have the pasty and all the fried food. <laughs> different food, isn't it? That, that's, yeah. it's like, it's like, that's a different world to people, do you get what I mean? Like, it was like pasties or uh, fried fried sausages and chips, and it was meant to be fair, right? I'm going to use a word here. It's been minging, Mark. It's horrible, <laughs> right? But it was so, it was so, uh, everybody knew it, do you get what I mean? Everybody knew our pasty. Or a sausage, because all the stuff in the chef was all, it's all cows and it's all pasta or potatoes, and it looked nice. Or some of it looked nice, but people were just like, nah, I just have a pasty. So, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, but it's just things like that that you sort of take for granted and assume yeah. that. Everyone were like, "This is great. It's all fresh. It's this and that." But yeah. if you've been like you have been in institutions and been out on the streets all of that time, then you probably haven't even been exposed to to sort of food like that. You know, so, yeah. Um, so let's bring it forward a little bit, then, Mick. So you sort of graduated from the course, and I alluded to at the start that um, you were probably you and another at the time were the ones that just sort of kept knocking the door and I remember speaking to the other staff at the club and, and sort of went this guy's serious I think because it's been a month now and he keeps coming back and you know what there's no problem we've got some spare footballs here and cones and bibs and he just kept coming back and coming back and coming back and it got to a point that we said we need to take this guy on I think, you know, and it, and it, and it coincided with a time I think we were probably one of the only clubs that, that at Plymouth, outside of uh, the, the Premier League, that had a kicks program that we got funding for, we had this amazing um, uh, pitch, Mickey. You remember that we used to have to put up, and it took about an hour. Soccerina that we had to put up, and it took ages. It came on a trailer, and we would take it out to the estates. And when it was up, it looked absolutely fantastic. But as I said, Mick, you were you were probably the, the best in my opinion, to be able to deliver a project like that. Um, how old were you at the time then, Mick? Because this was probably your your first job. Mate, I, when I come down to Plymouth, right, I was 38, I think, right? So the time I came to use, right, I was just being 39, 38 or 39, right? But uh, the thing about that, as you described it, you described it quite well, but the thing about it is, is even if you think about that course, it was just a bit of luck that I actually got on that course. I had no wow. interest in football, no interest in coaching, never had a clue who Plymouth Argyle was. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if that because you 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 just got to Plymouth, I don't know. I remember one of the boys that was in there. He was going on a course, and I tagged along with him. He was going up for a meeting. And then the guy came in and said, "Do you want to join?" And I went, "All right then." Nay, 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 nay. Uh, I don't know what the word is. Illusions of me being a football coach. Because I remember even saying it to you when we got up there. I quite liked it. It was a laugh. It was something to say. And the thing it saved me. Right? And that's how I always say people laugh at me that football saved my life right now. In a way, I mean it, right? because I just come out of rehab, Mark, two weeks by the time I come on that, that course, right? And I had nothing in Plymouth at that time. That came about at a time when it gave me four weeks of routine, right? Four weeks to actually doing something. And part of that was, I wasn't the coaching business, I didn't think I could ever do that, right? I just stuck to that course, right? But little things like CV writing, which I'd, I was scared of because I never had never had a job right. But the thing about it was it was just there. Uh, it was just routine. It was just watching and thinking, that's all right, I could do that. And I quite liked it. And the thing about me was because I was always good at networking, right, I always felt safe up at that club at the time, Mark. Yeah. You, you took an interest in me. There was a few other staff took an interest in me. Because of the way I was, I've navigated through the jail systems and all this kind of thing. I was quite good at talking to people. That way, so I would meet other people in the club and say hello to them, and do do do. So I quite quite liked it. And then the thing was, was that uh, when you think about when I left, it was wee bits of advice from you. I always remember one time you said to us, because uh, everybody, I think everybody on that course was expecting a job, and I was yeah. laughing, saying, yeah. "Mate, <laughs> football coaches out there, right? That are just doing one hour a week, that are better than us, right?" I said. Couldn't employ me, and that's what it was. But you did say, go and find a wee club. And at that same time, Mark, I got into youth work and things like that just to try it. So I started doing it. And then there was a, uh, the thing I was into at the time was there was a, a day program for uh, drugs, drugs aftercare thing. And I got into that and I started trying to put back into them. So that was what the footballs were for. I started doing that. We formed a five aside football team for mental health and drugs and we were playing that every week and I was coaching them right well trying right but it was quite good and then the hang another hang you don't give yourself credit for I know I was recognising that in me but within about six months or seven months I was doing the youth work and to qualify I had to get a DBS cleared and by the time the DBS yeah, came yeah. back it came back you know it came back with a big truck <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> and they were right and it was like bundles and they went, that's too much. So I had the problem. I had to appeal it with the organisation. And at, at that point, Mark, somebody phoned you up and said, look, do you fancy helping Mickey out? And you went, come up. And it was like a course. It was like a half-term course. And me and Mark, Mark Lovell, he'd come on. So he was doing volunteer. So me and him volunteered on that course. And on the first day, after a couple of hours, you said, Mick, Mark, this gives you bank details, we'll pay you. And as soon as you've done that, Obviously, I got paid for the B2 weeks, but now I'm on the payroll. So now people could use me for the after school clubs. So I was getting, yeah. like, I was starting to feel part of something. And then Kicks Project came in. And then I got a job working with the homeless. And then I had a choice stay with the homeless or come here. And I came into you one day and I said, I'm going to quit my job at, at, as a support yeah. worker. I'm going to go with you. And you are thinking, no. We can only offer you this. And I said, no, I'm going to take a chance because I loved that. Because yeah. it was uh, 
every everything I'd experienced all these years, right, I actually found something that uh, I've never found anything I was good at. Wasn't as good as a criminal because I kept being caught. Wasn't as good as a <laughs> obviously because I kept it just wasn't working right. I'd never been used to being clean because I couldn't handle the way I felt. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then now I've actually it's took me like uh, twenty five years to actually sort of there and actually come out and trust in the process. Now like trust that it's all right to feel vulnerable. It's all right to feel insecure. It's all right to be anxious. But it's not all right to just keep it up here. So I would yeah. talk to people. And I got so, to the point now where people say to me, how are you, Mickey? I'm mad. I'll just tell them like that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And they'll be looking at me like, oh, really? All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care, Mark. Can you get me? I don't care. But, like, I need to do it, right? Because if I don't, then I could be the same Mickey going back again. And the people yeah. I'm talking to could be the same, right? And I have it every day now. now I'm, it's a lot deeper now, right? Because I'm dealing with a lot of people with mental health and disabilities, and it's the same thing. They, they'll phone me up, uh, and they'll say whatever they'll say. They'll say that I'm not really feeling this football tonight, and we always try and look out for an excuse. Thing we always look out. Uh, it must be because Mark Rivers is not passing the ball to me. That's why I'm feeling so down. Or Richard, he's shouting too much. That's why he's making down. And sometimes it's nah, it's not that. It's just the way we are feeling and the way we are thinking. Yeah. We're seeing things in a different way, so sometimes we need to take a wee step back, don't we? Yeah, and so hundred percent, oh, yeah. And um, you know, I, I say it all the time with football, and I was probably the same as a footballer that you'd have a poor game, and then you you'd blame the ref, you'd blame the conditions. If right. I only had my my other boots on, if he played me on the right wing instead of in the centre. But what we're not very good at doing is looking inside our own shirt or from a coaching perspective inside our own tracksuits and going, what what else could I do here? You know, how else can I um, it sort of integrate better or um, find out additional information, you know? And I don't think, as again, I don't think we're, we're, we're great at doing that. But um, that's what we're Sorry, just on the flip side of that, me, uh, me personally, I'm the opposite of that. So it's like I have low self-esteem. So it's yeah. it's all my fault. That's why we didn't win today because I didn't do that. That's me. That's me. Yeah. So it's, it can work. Yeah. yeah, interesting, isn't it? Aye, but again, that's and that that's the thing for me is like, uh, well, I, I was both. I blamed everybody, right? I used to blame my mum and dad. You know what I mean? Because I, uh, because I was in jail, because they never bought me a tenner that night. And because you never bought me a tenner, I had to feel like this, and then I had to go and rob him. And I got, I got, I got eighteen months. How could you do that to me? If you just gave me a ten, I'd have been all right. And that was my mindset. That was the mentality. Yeah. You know what I mean? That thinking that is that is a normal way of thinking. I went through my life thinking that way. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. I was right. You, the, everybody else was wrong. I used to look at the window and see people going to work, and I used to say, "Wow, what are yeah. they doing, man? I see them every day going to the same bus stop. Weird." And I'm sitting in a crack then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With nothing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Man, just minging. My head's bursting. Yeah. But I'm thinking, that's my mentality. That's mental health. That is, I'm gone. Yeah. But I don't see it. Everybody else sees it, but I don't. And I, and I, and I think on the flip side, Mick, you know, and I spoke to, to many a person and sort of tried to educate myself by the medium of podcasts and reading books and everything. And I think... Um, Sometimes, and I, and I grew up in a in a family where I'd always have 
like food and I, if I wanted a new pair of shoes, I'd have a new pair of shoes and a new pair of trainers. But uh, And sometimes I think, again, definitely as men, that you'd look and think, why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling so low or so depressed? Because, you know, you related to childhood, but I had everything and I always had food. And sometimes there's this thing about mistaking financial wealth for emotional wealth. Yeah. Mistaking that. You know, because I've always had food and everything in my belly. So then, then, then guilt is born out of that as well. I feel guilty because I had everything. But the, that emotional side for for young boys and men, and then everyone in general, is essential, um, in my opinion, to be able to 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 grow. Um, and if you don't get that, then there's there's that's where I think issues are born. But there is definitely that bit of mistaking that financial wealth for emotional wealth. Me is always like even if you go back to me is always there. This is what the problem I think now with mental health and drugs and all that is a grooming. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because maybe people, uh, people only getting what they think they need. So like mm -hmm. Mark, you've got nice trainers on. Richard's got nice trainers on. I ain't got yeah. them. Like, no, I can't go and steal them because maybe I don't know what that means. I don't know how. To, maybe I'm scared. My mum and dad, they might be split up. They might whatever. They have no game mate, right? But there's other people that are older that are involved in different things. They see that and they say, mm -hmm. he's all right, but, and they sort of come in. As soon as they say, ah, what's wrong with your trainers? They ripped. I say, yeah, they're ripped. Yeah, don't worry, I'll sort that out for you. Bang, he mm -hmm. gives you a new pair of trainers. Now, all that stuff that you're, you're talking about, Mark, you start feeling you're connecting to him now. Do you get yes. what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, you've I got the it. food, but you've not got the yeah. trainers, and he's supplying you with the trainers. You know what yeah. I mean? But you don't realise the interior moves, and that's what's happening yeah. nowadays. Actually, we mental health yeah. is the same or not. It's like a lot of times it's like a, people mask it. We gambling's a, a belter. Footballers yeah. belter. Lots yeah. of footballers that I know personally, right, that I went through. There's one on me, he'll not mind me saying his name, Jamie Ness. He, I told you about him. He's just come on there. He's just come out there about his mental health. And the thing about these boys is, man, right, they are big names in, in their days. Anxiety, mental health is just crippled them because they can't talk. Now, they've got all the wealth, they've got all the money, mm. they've got the relationships, they've got the cars, they're playing for football yeah. clubs, right? Uh, but anxiety, vulnerability, yeah. self-esteem, as you talked about, is shot to pieces. But that boy yeah. sat in changing rooms for like six or seven years. Yeah. And everybody thought, what a level-headed guy. Never gets angry, never gets sad. Dang. In his head. It's, he's in turmoil. Yeah. You get what I mean? I've had other players that I know well that have been the exact same as the way I'm feeling and used to are feeling like. And they've sat with their phone in their hand all day. I told you before, Mark. All day, watching the football with me. Then the football goes and he kept turning it over. And this went on for about eight hours. All through this Sunday. Basketball, yeah. golf, uh, wrestling, did it. And it got to the end of the night and it was like a baseball game. And then he went, Yes, that's me. Even then I went, What do you mean? And he said, Well, I ended up, I was doing seven grand. Now I'm back. So all the way through, he was chasing this. And this yeah. is just because he never, he wasn't playing. He had been bombed from the first team at Plymouth. And yeah. that's it. That's the impact. Whereas people can't. But but again, it's this it's this screen, isn't it, that's put up, and it's this way of suppressing feelings, whatever yeah. 
your thing is, whether it is gambling, whether it is drink, whether it is alcohol, there's no one that's any better. It's none. I've heard before people say, well, all right, I, I drink to excess, but I don't do drugs or I don't drink, but I have a gamble. Yeah. You know, it's these things of why are we, we need to get to the bottom of why are we suppressing these thoughts? Why are we suppressing this? And like you said about the footballers then, then, you know, you do have guilt attached to that because yeah. a minute, I've got a lovely car. I've got a lovely wife. I've got a lovely family. Why am I feeling like this? You know, and going back to that sort of... Um, uh, mistaking the financial wealth for, for for emotional wealth. You know, every institution will give you food and water. Mickey, you've been in, you yeah. wouldn't mind saying, but X amount of prisons, yeah. but you would have been, you would have been fed and had and, and had plenty to eat and plenty to drink all of the time. 100%, yeah, always. You looked and these are, these are the things that we, we, we you know, where, where guilt comes into it because, you know, I've had this lovely upbringing, blah, 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 but I haven't been trained or I haven't been um, um, I haven't had the experience of being able to talk to people and explain what's going on inside my body. Yeah, no, 100%. I remember, remember when I came to Plymouth after about two years, that this, a good friend of mine at the time, man, right, he was helping me through now getting clean, like, and he says, how are you, Mickey? I said, I'm all right. I said, no, nah, do you know something? I ain't all right. I said, mate, do you know what? I ain't happy, man. I said, I'm two years clean now and I should be happy. And he looked at me and he went like, what? What makes you think that? It gives you the right to think that because you're saying everything's got to be like this. I said, yeah. no, you need to put that effort in. Yeah. And it's like, just what you're saying there is like, uh, it's like even like we uh, we get scared in it. We, mm. We're trying to cover it up all the time, right? Yeah. Until we actually sort of speak to people, right? And the thing about speaking to people, Mark, what I found out, right, I was great at speaking to people, right? Mm. I wasn't as good at listening to what they were saying back, right? Mm. So I would talk it. And then as soon as Richard gave me the eyes, put his glasses down like that, right, I'd be like, I ain't having that, right? Because I know that he picked up on something, do you get me? And I'd be like, yeah. dang, so I ain't listening to him. But I listen to Mark, look, Mark's laughing, smiling, he's nodding, he said, more a zone in Mark. Right, and it's just about, do you get me? And it's just about sometimes it's like listening to that other person, do you get what I mean? Because mm. they might pick up something, they might identify with something, they might empathise with me. Whereas mm. before I didn't think anybody could. I thought that I was different, I thought I was unique, I thought I was just, I didn't fit in. Yeah. And it was actually listening to people. And then, Mark, the funny thing about that was, is just because in the early days, right, I would never listen to people that wasn't similar to me because yeah. I didn't think you would be able to, or you or Rich would be able to give me anything to help mm. my, help mm. me because you don't know me. You've never been where I was. Mm. And then I realised that that anxiety I've got, you're feeling it, you're yeah. living with it. Uh, that insecurities, you can relate it to every walk of life. And then when I started understanding that and understanding that it's not the situations that I'm getting into, it's the feelings, it's the anxiety and all that that's starting it off. Yeah. That's when I started realising that sometimes, Mark, going back to even basics, a deep breath. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Taking a yeah. step back from a situation, deep breaths and thinking, look, I'm all right. Well, Mick, it was you that talk, talk, um, I remember you talked to me about pressing the fast forward button. Do you want to elaborate on that? All the time, man. Uh, 
It's, yeah. it's always, it's, sometimes you can use it in football, and all right, but I always there, all the time, man, right? It's like uh, in any situation, any situation I'm in, it's like I can pause it. Pause, and that's what I'm saying, pause and taking a deep breath and thinking, <laughs> good breathing, and then to try and walk it out. I can rewind it, and I can fast forward it. And I know when I fast forward it, I know that consequences you get away. And it's the same thing as like I try and do with kids nowadays. It's the choices you make when you're younger. You don't know the consequences because you haven't been that far yet. But I have. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I did the exact same thing as with myself. Do you know what I mean? But I know that if, if I don't do certain things, then I can fast forward. And I know that I've got pictures in my head. Mm. Do you get me? Where that led to him. So sometimes it's like, uh, in the old days, it would be heroin. That's what's led to me. I could get killed. I could go to jail. Now that you're clean, you sort of no got all of that. Now, but if you take your finger off the ball, do you know what I mean? And you, you, you cross that line, do you get me? Yeah. And that's what could, that's what could happen. And a lot of times with me now, it's like, you're dealing with your mental health, uh, clean and sober. Do you get what I mean? Which is a challenge because you've no got, you've no got the, the way I used to have it, I could run away and take her and I could run away and steal something. I could run away and do whatever I could do. Now I need to sit with her. I've got a young kid now, right? who's nine, right? So I need to be concentrating on him as well. And you're watching his little, the way he handles things and all that to get me. And you're dealing with everyday life when it's still, it's still, it's still, you know what? still gets to me, right? I still think things, but I know that I can, I know the reality now, Mark. Yeah. And Mick, uh, how long have you been clean now, clean and sober? 16 years. Wow. Wow. From it, I got out of Wandsworth and I think it was July, July 2005. And that was the last time I ever took a drug. Last time I ever had involved in crime. and I mean, I've done I've done really well because it's all like it doesn't interest me at all now. Do you know what I mean? Not not, mm-hmm. not a thing. I'm totally uh, it's just enough's enough in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I like I like before that uh, I can do something. So like Richard said earlier, I was like, uh, you feel worthless. I feel like that up until I was thirty eight. Mm-hmm. Gradually, you start realising that you ain't. Worthless, and you've, I've still got all these feelings, man. You still get anxious all the time. Even I said to you before, Mark, is like, even coming on here, when I talk, I can talk right, and you won't stop me. But before that, <laughs> I came from Marandon because I wanted to date in the house because internet's better. And I'm looking, and it's like two minutes to go, and I'm like, oh, nah, do I need to text him? And the anxiety's gone all the time, and there's a wee hang I used to say, fake it to make it. People didn't like it, but they didn't realise what I meant. I never meant fake how you feel, but sometimes, you know, let's say, let's say, uh, you don't really feel confident, but you know you need to walk in that door. Yeah. You know you need to chat that door, or you know you need to pick that phone up and mm. talk to somebody. And a lot of times, you, I was too embarrassed, I was too scared, or what they think. And it was like fake it. Sometimes I just used to walk in the door, even when I was coming up to that, that course. Yeah. You were all sitting there, you were like, ooh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm feeling this, man. And I had to walk in the door. And, yeah. Instead of doing with my head there, I just come in and go, Mom man. Yeah. My anxiety would be screaming at me, I'd be saying, Mick, don't go, run, 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 run. <laughs> but you sort of gradually and then you turn around and look at everybody and they're just interested. They're all sitting in different corners feeling the same. 
Yeah. And then you just gradually realise, all right, nothing's happened to me, Mark. Yeah. Still talking yeah. to me. And they are interested in me. Uh, that's that's a really good point, and I've, I've often sort of thought about that, and oh, what must people think of me? And it's almost when you, on reflection, you look at it and think, how arrogant must I feel? Yeah, that I that I think that I'm in the forefront of of their thoughts, you know, and they're going to carry those thoughts of me around all day. Oh yeah, when he came in the door. No, people are so too busy and wrapped up in their own lives to think about you. But of course, when that anxiety is taking over, then that's going to be at the forefront of your mind going in. Um, Mick, I'm just conscious of time, but I'd just I'd love to know that uh, about some of the initiatives that you're involved in now at, at Plymouth Argyle, and I know that you've you've won an award, etc. If you could just maybe talk us through that. May this for the, for the last sixteen years, mate, right? It's, it's it's got it's been decent, Mark. Right? Uh, PL kicks, Premier League kicks project, right? It's still gone up and up and running. It's, that's been nearly like twelve years now, right? And we're trying to do it, get it bigger and bigger and bigger. So we're my story now, right? That's what we're, we're going to be using as well, right? So again, with choices and consequences, we're going in and. You might not believe it, you may believe it or not, Mark, right? But it's so hard to get into schools to educate uh, school mm. children, right, on the dangers of drugs, right? People are scared, teachers are scared, don't want to hear about gangs because the gangs are on the end of school, the drugs are on the end of schools, it's outside. And I'm like, hey, you're responsible for outside or not? Do you get me? Yeah. So that's one thing that we're banging on about now, right? That's one thing that I'm big on and I'm going to make it work, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, disability and mental health. For the last six or seven year mark, I've been in it near enough full time. I love it, right? Because yeah. I'm dealing with it and it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. But since COVID, COVID hit it hard, so I was doing a lot of phone calls yeah. with the guys, right? Which is quite tough because it's a phone call. Sometimes when you see them and you're outside playing the football with them, you can signpost them, you can direct them, you can sort of walk with them, you have a coffee now, and nobody's allowed out, everybody's on the phone. Mm. And it's like, I was struggling, but it was decent. And then mm. now they've come back, they've come back tenfold now. So now we've got like maybe 60 or 70 adults come in every Wednesday mm. night for an hour and a half. So that's massive again, and it's great. And you've got all different mental health. Well, junior disability is, is big on. That's all back to normal, do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. it's great and working with SEN schools which I love doing do you know what I mean because I'm not I'm different right Mark I don't like going and see with the curriculum I, I ain't for that right because everybody learns different my main yeah. my main objective is, is to get engaged with people it has to be fun and then we can work on that so if you've got mental health issues if you've got behavioural issues the curriculum's not working for you why yeah push it down your throat I'll bounce in and if I can help in any way and a lot of times I'm just using my experiences see with the empathising with people with young kids remember what it's like to be 7, 8, 9 and feeling anxious half people won't admit that but I do I remember that feeling I remember what it's like I remember what it's like it is for going to a football club to get what I mean when you're only young and you're feeling nervous and anxious and that so I remember I can see the traits I can see the faces yeah. And I love all that. I just love working with people. Uh, my little kids—that's the main focus on me. So it's like it's the way or, or it's inclusion stuff and disability and my young boy. Do you know what I mean? 
try to bring him up the best that he can. Mm-hmm. Which is good. And still try to deal with, with my own stuff that goes on in my head because, yeah. you know what I mean, my head's still still good. I'm all positive. Do you know what I mean? But you have to keep a check on yourself, Mark. Yeah. You check yeah. In, and you have to check in with other people. Yeah, and I think and I think that's a really good point. And the people who are listening to this that are experiencing sort of poor mental health and anxiety and depression, you know, it's something that probably all three of us on the call have, have sort of lived with over the years. And I suppose it's certainly for me. I can't speak for you guys, but it's getting to a stage where you can manage that. It's uh-huh. not miraculously going to disappear, but yeah. I, I'm at a stage now where, where I'd like to think I'm probably on, on top of it. Not all the times, but I'm at a, a, a place where I can probably, um, in, a, in a healthy way, manage my anxiety and, 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 and sometimes depression. Right. Do you know what, what I had to do at the start? I know you've not got much time, right? But what helped me a lot is, right, and I, I do it in my own head nowadays, right, is that... Uh, if you don't talk to people, Mark, about how your days went, how your weeks went, or how you feel, right? Mm. It stays in your head, stays trapped in your head, right? Yeah. And it gets distorted. What I used to have today is, is like, uh, even at the end of the day, Mark, lots of people do it now, like a little journal. Like, no, they do diaries not, right? But yeah. what did I do today? What did I do well? Yeah. What didn't go well? Like football, it's like reviewing your session. Yeah. And a lot of times, that is, is like, I'll put it out. Oh, that session was rubbish because they kids didn't. Mm. They didn't engage. Oh, hold on. They kids have been kids. They're coming in. Yeah, I never yeah. planned it. Yeah. I'm feeling too well or whatever. So it was like, do you get yeah. what I mean? So always yeah. checking on what I've done. Right. So if I'm, and then that, that's when I can check on my emotions or my feelings, right? Mm. If things only gone too well, right? The session, made my sessions and the way I'm up. You can actually see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's just blowing their wind in it. And yeah, and I, yeah, and I think that's a brilliant point. Um, that, that none of us are, are sort of professional counsellors um, or healthcare um, specialists, but that that is one thing. If you're not comfortable with with talking to someone, and we've had the conversations that you need to talk to someone who's who you can trust, definitely, 100%. not on the street. But another way of getting it out, it's a great point that you make, is, is writing things down. Getting it out from your head onto a piece of paper. Or, it's or looking at your part in things, Mark. Honestly, yeah. looking at everything you do is like, you know what I mean, was it a good day? Why not? And what, what could I do now to make it better? And a lot of times that's what it is. Oh, maybe I should have spoke to Mark this morning before we we went out. Maybe I should have told Mark before that interview that I wasn't really feeling too good. Maybe that's why I didn't get the job. You know that things like that, Mark, where you we just build things up and we mm. we surmise. I don't know if that's the right word. We surmise that you know you two know how I'm feeling now. I'm I'm, I'm still at that. Yeah. My boss mm. will say to me, "Why didn't you say?" I said, "Well, you knew." He go, "How did we know, Nick? <laughs> you must know, man. <laughs> no, how did we must know?" Yeah, okay, I mean, we just sort of yeah. think everybody else must know because we are that important, Mark, that you should know how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even text me and tell me. You get what I mean? And you can take it from there. And the funny thing is, is man, do you know the funny thing is, I'm in that, is like, see the people that I actually uh, confided in and spoke to in that, right? It's probably the least people I've ever, I would ever think. Like, Mark, with you, we connected right away, right? But nobody in that club really is uh, any really experience in what I'd went through, right? Mm. But I'm still there. 
Yeah. And they start, I can start, I can walk into most of the offices and just plot down, just sit down, put my feet up on the chair and they'll look at me. <laughs> but they'll actually, they'll humour me. And yeah. I said, you know what, man, this is happening. And then they, they'll talk to me and they might give me a wee bit of advice. I might take it, I yeah. might go to the next person and that's what I do. I'll go yeah. and just explore it. And yeah. I think you need to do it. You need yeah. to do it. Yeah. And it's just, sometimes as is what I, what I used to do, sorry, I know you're struggling. No, no. What I used to do when it wasn't too well or it didn't work for me was I'd always find somebody as like-minded as like me and the two would sit and talk about how messed up the two is were, right, mm. to get me. And it would make it ten times worse because the two would walk at the door yeah. so, to get me. So it was actually finding that right person. Yeah. You know I mean? And that was it, and exploring that and being able to listen. Yeah. Make the last thing from me, and um, before we I pass over to, to Rich to wrap it up, um, and you've probably covered, you made some brilliant points here, but what what sort of advice would you have for, for sort of men and women, really, that um, uh, are struggling with poor mental health? As you know, this um, podcast will come out in um, Mental Health Week. So what sort of um, tips and advice would you give to people listening in? Mate, first one, first one for me is is like is talk to somebody, right? And don't wait till it's too late. Do you know what I mean? Find somebody that you can talk to. When these people say that, people get a wee bit scared. Who can I talk to? It could be your mate. It's get used to it. It's getting used to texting somebody. Getting used to picking the phone up. Do you get what I mean? You don't have to spill your whole life out right away because by that time, sometimes it's too late, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's just like when you get the wee feelings, is recognising it, mate. It's a feeling. It's all right. Mm. Picking the phone up, texting them, even if it's your neighbour, I ain't feeling too well with you, I feel this, do do do. And you start that, that talking process, you get what I mean. Mm. And that's for me, that's for me the big thing because it goes back to there comes a time when you recognise something's not right. Yeah. And then that's when you've got a choice, Mark. Do you mm. know what I mean? And it's the same with all the other stuff that I went through, there's choices and there's consequences in it. Sometimes mm. when we, we don't listen to our bodies, our bodies are quite. Intelligent, Mark. Yeah. People find yeah. for a reason, and we don't we don't realise it. We think I I thought it was drugs. Lots of people think they're hungry. No, you're not hungry, man. You're you're anxious. You're there's something not right. You're mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. a warning system, and it? it's like mm-hmm. you get fear. If you're scared, there's something there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's sometimes yeah. it's just like having a wee chat to somebody, and it's actually recognising that it might be a youth worker. It might be. It might be somebody else. It might be your somebody at work. You know, there's lots of lots of people out there. You can Google nowadays, mm. where you can actually speak to somebody on your mental health, which is anonymous. To get yeah. along in. There's yeah. text services now, Mark, that you can actually just mm. text. But you need to actually talk because if you if if you keep it to yourself, it become it becomes dangerous, man. And it, man, you're worth more. Every single person out there, man, is worth more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do everything you just doing, man. It's like I believe that. Do you know what I mean? That everybody has has worthwhile. Everybody's got something inside mm-hmm. on my mark. For me to be sitting talking to you on a podcast, right? Is uh, it would never have happened, man. You couldn't even give me your dog to take for a walk, man. To get on me, truthfully, and I admit that. So actually, for me being so lost and so so out out of touch. Yeah. And it's possible, do you get what I mean? That we've all yeah. got something in there 
that we can bring out and we can bring out to others. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Thing for me is remembering, right, when you're feeling like that, right, it's a feeling mark. Do you know what I mean? And what happens when it goes up there? That's when we need to pause, pause the button, do you know what I mean? And think, right, what can I do? And the thing is with that, I know he's busy, but the thing is with that, people worry about what they say to people. Mm. Now, if you don't say nothing right, you're going to fast forward it and you're going to be in trouble. If you rewind it and just talk to somebody, then what's the worst that can happen? Because you're going to be in trouble anyway if you don't talk. Yeah. So if you yeah, do yeah. talk, then the chances are you're not going to be in trouble. You're going to be either where you are or you're going to be better. Yeah. I could listen to you all day. Mm. I'm very privileged to call you a friend and, um, you know, it's... Um, uh, a brilliant insight into your your journey from from what you've gone through the the, the um, troubles and um, the anxiety and the drugs use etc cetera, etc cetera, to where you are today and um, you know I, I know from the time that I met you knowing about your history to where you are now you've gone through a massive um, transformation um, I remember you sending your your first paid packet of, uh, back to Glasgow to show people there you were so yeah. proud uh, yeah and to have a child and 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 how you've um, 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 integrated yourself into the Plymouth Argyle family has been absolutely brilliant so um, thanks for thanks for sharing your time there'll be some brilliant points on there that people will resonate with I'm sure um, Maybe we can do a part two at some point because I'm sure you've got more to tell. Anytime, no thanks, man, because it's a, that's the cleanest version I could. <laughs> I talk about trauma, mate. Right? Oh, there's been trauma, but it's, people don't need to know the trauma. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, yeah. it's all the journey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's such an inspiring story, and no doubt you've uh, inspired so many individuals down in your area, uh, in Plymouth, Mickey, and, hope, and now listen to a wider audience, hopefully you'll inspire many more. Um, I, want to, I want to finish on a softer, lighter note, Mickey, if you don't mind. Uh, Euros coming up this year, Scotland have qualified for tournaments, it's the first time in, uh, since 1998. You're in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? What's your chances? Hey. England only, England only have, England only performing at the minute. Scotland are only up and up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think there'll be a full house there. Mm. Mate, Scotland are there, England are there for the taking. <laughs> Mate. I like it. I like it. I know, you're better now than you were, like, even 12 months ago, so, um, okay. Well, well, mate, you know, I'm better, or Scotland are better. Yeah, both. Um, <laughs> Mate, 12, 12 months ago, Celtic were winning 9 <laughs> 12 months later, I'm sitting Don't get excited on Celtic. I didn't, want to bring I didn't want to bring it up, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, thank you so much. Mate, you keep anytime. up the great work, and um, we're great to catch up again soon. Anytime at all. Thank you very much, Mark. God yeah, bless you. Thank you so much, Mickey. Um, really appreciate you uh, coming and talking to myself and Mark. Thanks, River, as well, for setting that up. But um, just before we continue, just want to say support is available. Um, there's so many organisations out there to support um, people that may be going through something at the moment, um, such as the Samaritans, uh, the Charity Mind. Um, and no matter where you're living in the UK, the NHS has a free service for people living with depression, anxiety, stress, and negative feelings and thoughts. 
There's also a range of services to support people with drug, alcohol and gambling addictions as well through the NHS, so please seek them. Um, but yeah, incredible from Mickey, wasn't it, River? Yeah, really good and, uh, you know, a really fascinating insight in terms of um, his own sort of personal journey from, from um, that sort of young boy growing up in the streets of Glasgow to, um, you know, this, this, this man who's really carved out a wonderful career for himself, um, now living and coaching in, in Plymouth. So, um, yeah, hopefully people will find that, find that episode useful. Definitely. And um, keep up the great work. 16 years and counting. Keep up the great work, Mickey. Yes. And, um, yeah, I'll definitely do something again with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. We're just going to finish off. I appreciate it's quite a bumper episode, but it's, it's definitely worth doing. Um, and I think just important to just finish off saying it, just because it's Mental Health Awareness Week doesn't mean that after this week there's no mental health for another year like it obviously it's every day everyone is going through something and it's important to talk i I saw an article recently from um jesse lingard um from the outset jesse seems this fun loving happy guy on the pitch and off the pitch he's got millions of uh, followers on his social media accounts and stuff like that and it was really interesting to see that um well not playing at Man United and uh, his mum was going through depression I won't do the article justice but but I'm misquoting it but it's someone who's so out there and outgoing and seen as this positive person is vulnerable it's the same as all of us and I think it's um, it was really really empowering to see that because I don't know how I'm not sure how long ago a player would have come out and said that quite openly so I think initiatives like mental health awareness week does bring it to life more river would you say absolutely yeah and you know mental health is on a continuum so if anyone's done the mental health first aid courses you'll know about the mental health continuum um you know and we're all in completely different places at different times so they have like a top right uh a quadrant, if you like, that talks about a person with no diagnosed uh, mental illness or disorder and has positive mental health. So if you imagine a quadrant, that's the top right one. That's a real utopian view of where we'd all like to be. Who wouldn't want to be in that top top right quadrant where where um, the sun's always shining, you're always in a really positive, lovely mood. Um, if you're English, you've grown up in this country, England are going to win the World Cup. You know, it just it just doesn't exist. And life events get in the way and mean that you can be propelled around that quadrant into somewhere quite dark. So I think even if you're not experiencing poor mental, mental health right now, it's important to upskill yourself in these areas because there might be a day when you do. And we need to gain the tools to be able to deal with these things and if it's not yourself maybe you have children you know and you've upskilled yourself in these areas to be able to um, open up a form of dialogue with your with your children you know and and hopefully things are changing i think you're right rich that, that someone of jesse lingard's stature going back 10 15 years might not have been able to come out on those platforms and say that this is what's going on so we're at a certain place, and as you quite rightly said, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. It's not just because we're in this um, mental health week that, that we condense all our efforts into this week and that's it. 
Mm. We still need to go a long way. And especially when we talk about uh, men's mental health um, and the bravado that's attached with that sometimes, particularly in this football fraternity that we find ourselves in, um, Rich, that it can be tough and that there might be issues with being able to open up and, um, you know, explain your emotions. You know, it's it's a real, it can be a real difficult place. Yeah. As Mickey said, it's important, like, to find that maybe the person that you do trust and you do, you can share something with, even if it's just very small to begin with, if you are having, say, negative thoughts and feelings like that. Um, also, I think, you know, because it is this week, maybe it's reaching out this week to someone that you might not have spoken to for a while and just seeing if they're all right. No, again, if yeah. you maybe, if you're not going through it yourself, you might be able to be there for someone to be supportive to, to them, to, to enable them to, yeah, just a chat. Oh, yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying, sorry, just quickly to interfere. Like, you're, you're the only people I know. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up every couple of weeks via WhatsApp and say, how you doing? And you'll like say it straight. And I admire you for that. And yeah. it allows me to do that as well. So not yeah. the, the typical thing. I can't, I can't quote anything. I can't remember. But like, if I say you're right, you'll be like, well, not really, because this and that kind of thing. Or you might say, no, I'm brilliant today. Like, it's just honest and it's transparent. And I think if we can all work on that individually as a collective i think it will be much more open and transparent difficult yeah it is difficult and i think sometimes i'm I'm talking of a sort of middle-aged man that sometimes plays into the narrative of, of of what a man's got to um sort of think and feel and 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 talk about um, and what I mean by that is this sort of bravado sometimes of, you know, the man up culture and, and we can't express feelings, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at now on that sort of mental health journey, if you like. And I think you are as well rich and I know that Mickey is. And, and I think like you alluded to then, you know, it might be, um, look, we're not, we're not mental health experts by no stretch of the imagination. So I can only talk about what works for me, but it might be, um, you know, sharing some dialogue via, uh, WhatsApp, um, talking to someone that you trust, not just anyone on the street, but someone that you can really trust and you can have that conversation with Mickey alluded to, you know, writing things down, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, is a great help when you're talking about getting stuff out of your mouth that's sort of swimming around your head. If you're not comfortable with talking to someone face to face or expressing your thoughts and feelings on a, on a, on a uh, text message, write stuff down, Mm. just get it out. Um, And I think that's, that's of major importance of getting it out because, you know, you take suicide alone, you know, it's the biggest killer of men under 45. This is, this is no joke. And it, and it, it screams out to me that, um, again, sort of generalising, but the, the stats are there to back it up. But we're just not talking enough. And then we suppress thoughts and feelings. And for some people, it's it's too much. Mm. It's too much. And it's like that fizzy Coke bottle that explodes. Yeah. So um, as Mickey said, as as you and I, Rich, keep on about, it's really important to, to talk and um, try and express your, your emotions Um which which can be difficult at sometimes, um, because if you've got that level of emotional poverty, it can be difficult to to get to get those thoughts and feelings out there. Yeah, 
definitely like for me personally i started small in terms of what i shared with somebody and then it then get it allowed me to then share more as trust develops so yeah we could talk here all day mate couldn't we but um i just wanted to just say before we, we close up is just um talking tactics which is obviously a barks and bucks and the redden community trust um project it, it will be returning uh shortly so please keep an eye on our website i say uh uh, a Friday catch up, which we have been to with her down at the Madstad, um, yeah. just before the COVID, unfortunately. But um, that's going to be returning. Um, again, as we said, there's plenty of support networks out there if you, in case you do need to speak to somebody. But um, thanks for listening today. Um, Rivo, any last words, sir? Um, yeah, just again, as, as, as Rich said, you know. However, you you want to share. I've tried to upskill myself over the last sort of twenty years, really, in in this area of mental health. So whatever that means to you, for me, um, I'm not a massive reader, so I listen to loads of podcasts related to mental health, um, YouTube, talk to people, jump on sort of as many CPD events as I can, and things like that. Um, so anything that you can you can get on any of these mediums that are going to sort of help you um, grow in this area, then I think it's as uh, of major importance. Definitely, and um, yeah, and just everyone take care and uh, maybe reach out to someone you've not spoken to for a while this week. There's a little challenge for anyone. But um, River, we are coming back soon for another series. I've lost count of what series it is. I'm going to say series six could be five. Um, but we're coming back. <laughs> we're coming back. Five. We're, going, we're coming back for new series, aren't we? Very shortly, talking yep. to um, to coaches and and people in the game again, which we're really looking forward to. So watch this space; it'll be dropping soon. Um, but Rivo, thanks for joining us today. Look Thank after you. yourself, sir. And um, you. And we'll see everyone, or everyone will hear us again very soon. <laughs>